The Church of the End Times should be urgently inviting the world inside to hear about Jesus. But sadly, many churches haven't even invited Christ inside. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at the arrival of the passive church and other signs that the world is on the brink of the last days. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message, Financial Signs of the End Times. And thank you for joining us today as we continue to discuss how monetary significance is so much a part of the end time scenario. We will get back into the scriptures in just a moment and finish up this message. Uh, This message is based upon a chapter in a book that we're making available to you during the month of March. Uh, The series is called Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, the Book of Signs. And um, we're talking about that on this program. Today, we are talking about chapter six in this book, and uh, we're talking about finances and how they're impacted by what prophecy teaches us. You can literally read the Bible and explain much of what is happening today. It's just an amazing thing. And we'd like you to have this book. During the month of March, you can get your copy of the Book of Signs simply by making a gift of any size to Turning Point that helps us produce these programs and then circulate them around the world. With your help, we can do this. With your help, we can spread the Word of God everywhere. And we're so thankful for your sacrificial giving and your prayers. So be sure and ask for your copy of this book, The Book of Signs, the longest book, the largest book that we have ever offered as a resource here on Turning Point. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point today. Okay, let's get started with today's lesson. What does the Middle East have that the whole world needs? It is in the Middle East where the planet was the most lush. It is the place where the Garden of Eden was placed. If oil is, as most scientists believe, primarily decayed vegetation and animal matter that is decomposed, then this is the area where we might expect the greatest deposits of the substance we call oil. I have a wonderful friend who writes for our magazine at Turning Point. He's a pastor in Nashville, very wonderful student of the Word of God, one of the most well-read men I know. His name is Robert Morgan. And he told me that once he flew into New Orleans and the man who met him at the airport was a geophysicist for a major oil company. Driving to the hotel, he explained to Robert that oil deposits result from the decomposition of plant and animal life now buried by eons of time. He said oil is found all over the world, even under the ice of the Arctic and the Antarctic. That means forests and abundant vegetation once covered the world until destroyed in a vast global cataclysm such as a worldwide flood. The geophysicist went on to say that the Earth's richest, deepest, and largest deposits of petroleum lie under the sands of countries just to the east of Israel in the location pinpointed in the Bible as the Garden of Eden. Eden was a teeming expanse of forest and foliage and gardens with rich fertility unparalleled in human history. Barren sand and blazing desert now exist where once grew a garden flourishing with dense, lush flora, the likes of which the world has never seen since. 
It was destroyed in some disastrous upheaval and has decayed into the largest deposits of oil in all of the world. And my friend Robert Morgan said, I never before imagined that the gasoline I pump into my car might be the ruined vegetation of the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Isn't it ironic to think that Satan may finance the Battle of Armageddon at the end of human history with revenues generated from the garden he spoiled at the beginning of human history? (laughs) Wow. How much of a stretch is it to believe that the forces of Gog and Magog would one day consider the region of Israel and the Middle East a target for evasion. The Bible says it's going to happen, but we now can't understand why. Carrying this logic to its prophetic conclusion, is it any wonder that Armageddon, involving almost every nation of the earth, will take place in the very region we know as the Middle East, doing battle for the great spoil, the booty, (laughs) the liquid black gold that lies beneath the sand of the Middle East. And here's the frightening statistics. World oil reserves are held by Islamic nations. Almost 75% of all the oil in the world is in reserve to nations that hate Israel and hate America. Is it any wonder that there will be a gathering in the Middle East? In fact, God tells us In Ezekiel 38, 4, he says, I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws. And I believe one day that's what God is going to do. Oil is the hook in the jaw. God is going to take the hunger for oil, and he's going to draw these nations to the Middle East to see who can survive and end up with the booty, with the oil. God said that he is the one who will gather all the armies to the Middle East, and there are some who believe that we may at this very time be at the beginning stage of that gathering. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's all about the money, isn't it? It's all about the money. To the very end of the age, materialism will drive humanism in its rebellion against God. It's all about the money. So we have the proliferation of global technology, the polarization of poverty and prosperity, the priority of oil in the Middle East. And then number four, and this is for all of us here today. We all have to deal with this in one way or the other. The preoccupation with money and material things. In 2 Timothy, as Paul was writing to his young protege, he spoke about the last days, and this is what he said. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And then he goes on, there are 18 characteristics here that he uses to describe the kind of people who are going to be on the earth and in the end times before Jesus comes back. Here is the apostle telling us what it will be like financially in the last days. Now, I'm not going to go through all 18 of these because only the first two have to do with the financial aspect of what it's going to be like before the Lord returns. Notice, first of all, it says men will be lovers of themselves. (laughs) Lovers of themselves. Self-centered. Ladies and gentlemen, all of the recent stories of financial misbehavior find their root in this one desire. The Martha Stewarts, the Bernie Madoffs, the Dennis Kozlowskis, the Kenneth Lays, the Bernhard Ebers of our generation were not thinking about anybody else but themselves. So what if people lose all their savings? So what if bankruptcies occur? What if thousands are defrauded and hurt? If I come out ahead, all is well. 
That is the spirit of this age, and unfortunately, it is the spirit of many who, according to Paul when he wrote to Timothy, weren't pagans. He says at the end of this passage in Timothy, who have a form of godliness but deny the power of it. In other words, he's not talking to people who don't go to church. He's not talking to irreligious people. He's writing and telling Timothy that within the greater professing church, those who have an outwardness of godliness, this will be a characteristic that identifies them in the end days. And then secondly, not only will they be lovers of themselves, but this follows naturally. When you're a lover of yourself, you're going to be a lover of money. Men will be lovers of money. The love of money is at the core of today's society. It fuels the engines that drive commercialism. It's the way people are judged and achievement is measured. No wonder Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter with this warning. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now please note what Jesus did not say. Please note what Paul did not say. They did not say you could not have money and love God. Jesus said you could not love money and love God. And I need you to know that in our culture today, we're totally in love with the dollar. We're carrying on a love affair that's unbelievable. Let me just prove it to you. Other cultures consider plagues, pestilences, famine, the worst thing to be feared. Our high-income society considers one thing worse, the destruction of our wealth. Our ultimate definition of disaster is a materialistic one, fixated in the ups and downs of financial asset values and home prices and cyclical patterns in employment and commerce and other such things. When that stuff goes south on us, it takes control of our entire culture. It's what you hear on the radio every day, what you see on television every night, and what you read about in the papers and in the magazines. The thing that drives us in this country is the love of self and the love of money. And unfortunately, that spills over into the church. If we're not careful, we catch the disease, don't we? So what are the financial signs? The proliferation of global technology, the polarization of prosperity and poverty, the priority of oil in the Middle East, the preoccupation with money and material things. Here's the last one. The passive indifference to the warnings of God. When was the last time you talked to anybody who said, you know what, I've been reading my Bible and... I'm so afraid that God is going to punish me for what I'm doing, or I've been reading the Bible and I'm thinking about what's going to happen in the future. You know, it just goes by us like it's not there. Now, let me show you where this comes from, where this prophecy is given to us. It's in Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. Let me just read it to you. This is the Lord Jesus. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. 
But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now this passage is not the way some people have preached it in the past. Some people have said that God judged the world by a flood in Noah's day because people were out there marrying and giving in marriage. They were buying and selling. Them, and they'd talk about it as if it were a time of debauchery. And ladies and gentlemen, to the contrary, the people weren't doing anything different. They were just living at the time of the flood and at the time before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were just living their everyday lives of as nothing unusual on the horizon. Notice the verbs in this section of Scripture. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. What is that? That's the description of life, normal life. These action words describe the normal activities of life. The people of Noah's day and Lot's day were living as if there were no tomorrow to be worried about. They refused to listen to the warnings that were given them, warnings that came from the preaching of Noah and the warning of Lot. The judgment was to fall, and they cared not. Why? They were too busy eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, planting and reaping and building and borrowing and doing commerce. They were caught up in the routine of life and had no concept at all that there was something out there beside their personal involvement that they might want to pay attention to. One of the big challenges, if you're a preacher in today's culture, is to just get the attention of people, to listen. They come to church with all of the things they've been working on during the week, all of their financial issues, and it's just like the Word of God is wonderful, but it just goes right over their heads, and they don't pay any attention to it, and they go back out the next day and live life as if nothing was different. I want you to notice that Jesus said on two occasions before he gave these words, both before and after, Jesus said that the stories of Noah and the stories of Lot, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, you may want to put this at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back with his saints. Many people use it kind of as an umbrella referring to the coming of Christ, including the rapture and the second coming. But wherever you put it, here's what it says, that people in the end times are going to have a passive indifference toward the things of God. Here's some more evidence to help you understand that. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, if you've studied this book, in the early chapters, chapters 2 and 3, John the Apostle writes a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. I remember when I taught that years ago, I got to preach through the whole book of Revelation. This was one of my favorite parts. Because John wrote these letters to seven literal churches. And if you had been on Patmos where John had been exiled, you could have visioned these churches were in a circle around Patmos. He saw them in his mind's eye, and he wrote a letter to everyone, starting with Ephesus and ending with the Laodiceans. Now, first of all, you need to understand these were literal churches that got these letters. They read them. They went to church every Sunday in their church. These were literal churches, but there's more to it than that. As you study the churches, you realize that these churches form a chronological picture of the church from its inception all the way through to the last days the church exists on planet Earth. For instance, the letter written to Ephesus is a perfect picture of the early church. And right before the last letter is the Philadelphian church, which was the time of evangelical expansion when we were starting missionary agencies and building Christian schools and starting churches. It was a time of great expansion. 
But there's one left on the chart, and that's the church of the Laodiceans. This is the church that's going to be on the earth when Jesus comes back. This is going to be the condition of the church when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And listen to how this church is described in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witnesses, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is God speaking. Because you say, I am rich, having become wealthy and have need of nothing, and don't really know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. John Stott wrote that the Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity, he said, is flabby and anemic and we appear to have taken a lukewarm bath in religion. <laughs> now you say, Pastor, I don't think that's the way our church is, and I hope it isn't. But considering the church as a whole, the church today has become the most easily dismissed subject in topics of discussion. It has no influence in the world. Because we have accepted the enemy's lies that to do church, you have to be market-driven. You have to find out what people want and give that to them. And so you end up with a bunch of people coming to church just to get stroked. And then they go back out into the world, and they're never changed in their life. They're never confronted with sin, and it's just lukewarm. There are three temperatures in the Bible. Did you know that? Over in the book of Luke... We are told that in the end days, people's hearts are going to grow cold because of lawlessness in the world. When Jesus talked with the two men on the road to Emmaus, we read in the Bible in Luke 24 that they said, Did not our hearts burn within us when we heard the Scripture being taught? And then the third is the lukewarm heart, neither cold nor hot, just passively indifferent. Just, I'll go to church, absolutely church doesn't do anything to hurt me and it doesn't do anything to help me and my family wants me to go you want me to go absolutely i'll go the prescription that is given for the healing of this lukewarm church is often wrenched out of context and the meaning diluted the final cure has always been the cure for compromise poverty nakedness and blindness the final cure for the lukewarm church at the end of the age which i believe is the church body that we are in today is found in Revelation 3.20. Here's what it says. Jesus is speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. In a very real reality, Jesus is not standing so much at the door of the heart as he is standing at the door of the church. Jesus is standing at the door of the church and saying, will you let me in? 
I used to be a part of the church. I used to be the subject of the church. I used to be the focus of the worship of the church. I used to be the teaching of the church, but I'm not in the church anymore. I've been pushed out. And you know as I do, you can go on television and watch ministries where Jesus' name is not ever mentioned, where the gospel is not ever talked about. It is the lukewarm church of the end times. And Jesus is knocking at the door of the church saying, Would you please let me in? This is my church. Can I come into the church? What a reminder to us as pastors that we want to always keep Jesus Christ at the center of everything we do. Yes, we have programs and ministries and other things to be taught and marriage and children and all of that. But the church of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. And when he is not allowed in... And this is not a new experience for our Lord. When he came to this earth the first time, we are told in John chapter 1, that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And Jesus himself, speaking of his last visit to this planet, he said in Luke 18, 8, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In these last days of passive indifference to the things of God, Jesus even said, when I come back to the earth, will I be able to find faith on this earth? The condition of the church at the time of Christ's return is Christless. But while the hierarchy in many end-time churches has denied Christ, he still is knocking at the door of the church. And here's the good news. He also knocks at the door of everyone's heart. If he cannot get in the church, let us not use that as an excuse for not allowing him into our hearts. Years ago, an artist by the name of Holman Hunt painted an incredible painting, one of the most famous paintings in the world. It is the picture of Jesus Christ standing at the door of the heart, knocking on the door. The weeds that have grown up around the door. This door has no handle on the outside. There's no way to open the door from the outside. The only handle that opens the door has to be used by the person who lives inside. How many of you know that God never forces himself on anyone? No one is saved ever against his will. No one is ever compelled to be obedient who wants to be rebellious. Notice that this invitation is extended to the last church ever mentioned in the Bible. And it's mentioned to remind us who may not know Jesus that today, because you are listening to this message, I can tell you what's going on. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. He won't push his way in. You can leave if you want to with him still on the outside, but he is asking you to invite him in, to open the door of your heart and receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. Whether he's in the church or not, let him be in your life. Let him be in your heart. If you've never accepted him, don't let this time go by. Don't leave him standing out there knocking on the door of your heart. He loves you and he wants to be your savior and he will only come in if you open the door and invite him. And you can do that by prayer through faith. You can ask him today to come and forgive your sin and give you everlasting life. And he will do it, my friend. He's never turned anyone away. No one who's ever opened the door of their heart has ever been left without Jesus on the inside.
And you know, this is uh, so interesting because salvation is a free gift. There's not enough money in all of the world for you to buy your way into heaven. But if you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can freely enter into heaven and spend eternity with him. Well, the Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. This 463-page book is yours for the asking uh, when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of March. And uh, we want to send this book to you. We're just looking for a way, for an excuse to do it. And so when you send your gift, that's how we can do this. We'll send it to you. You can have it for your very own. You can share it with others. And it will be our way of saying thank you for supporting this ministry, which is literally reaching around the world with the teaching of wonderful truth from the Bible. I hope you join us tomorrow right here on this good station for the next edition of Turning Point. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the prophetic series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark. Yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. I read recently that it will soon take only two hours to circle the globe. One hour of flying time and one hour to get to the airport. Flying times may continue to drop, but when it comes to getting to and through the airport, that's not likely to get faster. All of us have areas of life that seem to be stubbornly stuck, unwilling to be moved. 
Maybe it's a bad habit or a resentful grudge against someone. Fortunately, God has promised that with Him, progress is possible. So instead of getting angry in traffic on the way to the airport, ask God for patience and peace. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's possibilities on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.